So yesterday, what we were discussing is the, the question, and not the question, but the idea of what was the deeper understanding of this enigmatic story of the, the uh, Dar HaFlaga, right? The generation of the Tower of Babel. And we discussed the idea that they wanted to ensure that everyone is very, very uniform in thought and how this is a, a, an idea that is expressed by Rav Hirsch, as well as, as we said, uh, the Nativ. So uh, Shirit asked on the chat that, how is this different than the Torah? The Torah also demands that we all engage in certain behaviors, right? And we all have to follow a certain set of laws and, and it's uniform for all Jews. So th there's two very big distinctions to be drawn. I think it's a good question though. The first distinction to be drawn is, is that when Hashem is the one mandating a way of behavior, then that way of behavior will not cause us to be completely subsumed and completely lose our individuality to the extent that it becomes more important when a brick falls than when a human falls. That's point number one. And point number two is within Judaism, there is 70 faces to the Torah. There are 12 tribes. And every single person has to find their own path within certain limitations, right? within a certain framework, certainly true, but there is a level of autonomy that we are supposed to have. And that we all are supposed to try to recognize our individual strengths and really cultivate them and bring out who we are as a person, right? That is certainly admirable. It's certainly the purpose of why we are created differently. Yeah, that's in terms of that conversation yesterday. Okay, so we're on page 91 and we're on the second paragraph and we're continuing how after the uh, Darha Flaga, right? He's actually going back a tiny bit. He's going earlier than the generation of the Tower of Babel. He's really going to the idea that after the destruction in the generation of the flood, never again does God want to destroy all mankind. Rather, he wants to educate humanity through its experiences, to self-knowledge and knowledge of God. This is a very important idea. So when we think about the creation of the world, right? We can look at the world and we've discussed this in the past, how Hashem originally creates the world and the original iteration, at least the way it seems that Hashem intends to carry out his vision for the world is Adam and Eve. And they have one mission, do not eat from that tree. That doesn't work. Okay, let's start again. They get kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And now there's a different role that everyone is supposed to be playing. And that goes on until the generation of the flood. Generation of the flood is the iteration number three, right? That this, the generations, the people up until the time of the flood, it wasn't working out so well. Okay, they're not carrying out the vision properly. Let's wipe that out and let's start again. Wipe the slate clean. But Hashem says something interesting after the flood. Never again will I destroy the entire world. That way of wiping the slate clean is not going to happen again. So let's look at source at the footnote, footnote number two on page, on page 98. And it says, he's quoting the idea that reverse said that never again will the world be destroyed, but rather Hashem will educate us through our experiences. The altar that Noah built and the sacrifices he offered represented a rededication of the earth to Hashem, symbolizing the upward striving of man towards God and compliance with his will. What he's pointing out is immediately subsequent to Noah building that altar, 
and offering the sacrifices, the Torah tells us that Hashem smells the pleasing aroma of the sacrifices. Make no mistake, it's not because Hashem likes barbecue, right? That what we're talking about over here is a spiritual state that Hashem appreciates. And now that man has reached this level, he now says they can reach that level, never again will I destroy the entire world. In response, God decreed that there would never again be a worldwide catastrophe. Indeed, the changes made in the world by the flood would make possible the education of mankind through its experiences. So now what he's talking about is something very interesting. The Torah tells us that after the flood, then God introduces seasons. And then God splits up the areas in the world where there become different regions and different lands that are subject to different realities in terms of climate, right? How do we explain this in a physical sense from a historical standpoint? So in terms of saying that the lands were split up, right? We know that there was that uh, the universal continent, right? Before the, the continents were split up, that that seems to have a historical background. And that's something that the sages actually spoke about 2000 years ago, that originally it was all one piece of land. And then it got split up into different pieces. Pangea. Okay, thank you, Shiri. So uh, even more than that, though, according to the sages, Voracious 8.22 hints at drastic changes in the physical universe, brought about, according to one opinion, by a change in the Earth's astronomic position. The Earth's surface split into continents, whose configuration was molded by volcanic and water action, and a previously worldwide pleasant climate was replaced by changing seasons and varied climates. Now, the only thing that the Torah tells us explicitly is that there will now be seasons. There will now be winter, spring, fall, summer. And beforehand, it was always pleasant, but now there are going to be seasons. Now, why exactly, what, what, what exactly is it going to accomplish having different seasons is not so clear from the Torah. So over here, he's going to explain, Rabbi Elias is going to explain based on Rav Hirsch's reasoning as to why, and Rav Hirsch says this in his commentary on the Torah, as to why it was necessary to make different seasons and that that would help ensure that people stay on the straight and narrow. All of this caused profound changes in, humans life, in human life. Man's lifespan shrank. Individuals and communities came to live under very diverse conditions and separate from each other. So there was less opportunity for evil to spread, more opportunity for new beginnings. Mankind was to scatter and break up into nations, each going its own way. So that really is stuck into place, essentially after the generation of the flood. This plan, as we saw, was accelerated by the arrogance of the builders of the Tower of Baba. In other words, if you separate lands, what you take one huge landmass, you separate it into different landmasses. So over a couple of generations, there'll be microevolution, and people will start developing different characteristics. When they're separated and they're not able to engage together with each other, they'll start developing different characteristics, and they'll become more unique. And through doing so, through having these different groups of people, when one group of people go bad and things start becoming corrupted, it's not going to cause everyone to do the same thing because they're completely separated. Now, as soon as it was separating the different continents, that is already being put into place. However, when the world builds that tower of Babel, they show that it's not happening fast enough. And therefore, Hashem artificially induces a far faster separation by creating separate languages. 
Essentially, the purpose of this plan, which is the theme and content of world history, is for mankind to regain Gan Eden, right? And this we, we saw already in previous letters that Rav Hirsch says, we have to see ourselves in whatever situation we find ourselves in. This is my Gan Eden. This is exactly where I'm supposed to be in life. What are we supposed to do, though? We are supposed to turn the world into an ideal abode by using it only and exclusively in accordance with God's will. Sanctification of the world was the goal set for man, following logically from the premise that the natural and material world, including man's body, as discussed above, is capable and worthy of sanctification. Right, so just a, a bit of a, a Kabbalistic idea that the Ramchal, or Moshe Chaim Lusato, discusses often, is that if Adam and Eve don't eat from the eight sadas, from that fruit of the tree of knowledge, immediately the purpose of the world is fulfilled, and the, we no longer have the Yetzirah as it is, the evil inclination as it is, and we go straight into an era in which Hashem is openly manifested in this world. Our Bechira, our free will, is no longer necessary. Okay? Now, our goal in this world is to first bring us back to a state of Gan Eden, and then to finally get us over that hump back to that space in which Hashem is openly manifested in this world. We'll just finish this paragraph. As our sages point out, originally and essentially, God's nearness was to be with us down here on earth. The course of world history, it turns out, has not moved in a straight line because it is shaped by the interplay between the divine goal and humanity's freedom of action. But out of the casual interaction of factors in which God's providence reveals itself to the observant eye, the longed-for end of days will ultimately emerge. So he's expressing and expanding upon the idea that instead of destroying the world, right, instead of destroying humanity, Hashem no longer will engage in that behavior, will instead educate us to do the proper deeds. So what he's explaining is, if you look at world history as expressed by the Torah, using that lens of how different things are happening as a response to us misusing our free will, then you can understand everything in that light. And you can understand why everything has to happen in a very specific fashion on the macro level, on the greater level, so that we can go back to doing the right thing once again. Okay, we'll stop over here. If anybody else is, is on WhatsApp and would like to join, um, we have a WhatsApp chat that uh, is somewhat active, I suppose. If anybody else is on WhatsApp and would like to join, you can either um, uh, email. Even more than it can be much more active. <laughs> that's true if anybody would like to join the our chat that is uh mostly used for uh questions that come up during 19 letters uh learning um you could send me an email and i'm happy to invite you send me an email with your phone number uh, my email address is grossman dovey g-r-o-s-s-m-a-n-d-o-v-y as in yellow at gmail so if you send me uh, an email with your phone number and then I'll invite you on WhatsApp to join our chat. Okay, take care, everyone. Have a great night. Be well.